My name is Ajay Jane. And I'm Evan DeBrew. Welcome to Civ Tech Talks. We have decided to create this podcast that talks about different people's journeys into civic tech and other technical fields. Our podcast idea is to provide college students, early tech career professionals, and people interested in a tech background into what is possible in the world of civic technology and other areas of tech as well. Therefore, listeners will get a quality overview of the opportunities out there that aren't just working in Silicon Valley. Hopefully, we can help you make a more informed decision regarding the possibility of embarking on a civic tech journey of your own. Well, Jay, <laughs> there's so much to look forward to in the past 10 days. You know, you had Biden's inauguration in that conference, too, and the potential for the Packers to be in the Super Bowl. But um, I wasn't looking forward to that one, Evan, so speak yeah. for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, unfortunately, a lot of that stuff gave way to, well, the Packers obviously didn't make Super Bowl, but, you know, you have the issues with Robin Hood and TFs and, you know, my state's legislature trying to insist that the pandemic still isn't a thing that you're in. Yeah, I, I think I'm still commiserating over the Packers loss the most out of those three things, admittedly, just because I'm a diehard fan. <laughs> yeah, as a as a Bears fan, I was a little excited. <laughs> but actually, I definitely relate to the lack of playoff success as a Bears fan. As you know, Evan, we, we didn't really do well in our playoff game this year, and we pretty much didn't even deserve to be in the playoffs. But actually, no. my biggest playoff memory in terms of the Bears doing really bad is actually the very start of my own civic journey. So this is two years ago in 2019, and it was right before I was going to the East Coast to start working in Washington, D.C. on the Hill for a semester for a congressman. And that journey basically helped me realize that I did want to utilize my skill set for social good because I was working in a social, you know, in the government. I was working in a social good industry, and I realized that that's what I wanted to do. So taking a few things, a, a two steps back here, I had literally just gotten back from India I, I think that day and I was extremely jet lagged. So the game was at like, you know, 7 p.m. or so. And it felt like 7 a.m. India time. And I wanted to see the Chicago Bears win this game. So I had stayed up for the entire thing with my mom because it was a Chicago Bears and Philadelphia Eagles game. And my mom is from Philadelphia. So we were both watching the game. And of course, Evan, as you know, and probably take a lot of pride in the Chicago Bears kicker, Cody Parkey, when he kicked the supposed game winning field goal, it bounced off the right upright and then off the crossbar and then didn't go in. And the Chicago Bears lost the game as a result. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that's the favorite part of my story. I did enjoy watching that happen, especially having taken a lot of garbage from Bears fans uh, that year at school. But I think my favorite part was. I think it may have been WGN. Uh, don't don't fact check me on this, of course. <laughs> they set up a two-scale model of the field goal that Parky double-doinked and basically brought on their viewers who were there that morning to try and kick uh, whatever is like a 40-something yard field goal because a lot of people are saying, oh, they could have made that. Right. Uh, that definitely sounds like something have... WGN would do. I mean, if, yeah. if you're from <laughs> Chicago and you watch the, morning, the WGN morning show, that's definitely a stunt they would pull. I think out of like 50 some fans, no one made a field goal. <laughs> so that was probably funnier. You know, the armchair quarterback syndrome. Oh, I can do that. <laughs> no, you can't. 
<laughs> Evan, I didn't even tell you the worst part of the story. No. So, you know, the Chicago Bears were playing the Philadelphia Eagles yeah. in Chicago. Like I said, I had just come back from India. I I think my flight landed at O'Hare at like two in the afternoon from New York. And then I went home, unpacked from India, repacked for the East Coast, watched the Chicago Bears game, all while being completely jet lagged. And then the next day I had a flight to Philadelphia. I had a 12 o'clock flight from Chicago to Philadelphia. So I get on the plane and I am like immediately in like my own version of hell because two thirds of the people on that plane were wearing Philadelphia Eagles gear. So I was on the plane with two thirds of the passengers just wearing like Eagles jerseys and going back home to Philadelphia after like the most embarrassing playoff loss I had ever seen because my expectation was the Bears are going to win that game pretty easily. I'm already extremely jet lagged at this point. I am super tired. I go into my seat and I just kind of like cower and like sit down. I'm like, all right, you know what? It's only an hour and a half flight over to the city of brotherly love. I'll just be fine. I'll put on my music. I, I will be completely okay. And you know, it was fine for that first hour and 10 minutes. It was okay. Right. It took off from Chicago. I was feeling a little sad because I lived in Illinois for at that point, 20 years and 51 weeks of my life. And now I was going to live on the East coast for three months. And then on the West coast for three months, as we were descending into Philadelphia, the pilot comes on the intercom and says, you know, ladies and gentlemen, in about 20 minutes, we're going to begin our descent into Philadelphia International Airport and just gives all the statistics like, you know, it's whatever, like 40 degrees in Philadelphia that day. And then at the end, he says, go birds, as in go Philadelphia Eagles. And at that point, I was just sunk as far as I could into my into my seat because I was so embarrassed. I was like, not only did the Bears miss this kick, I'm on a flight where every single person's an Eagles fan and the pilot is an Eagles fan and the loss is getting rubbed. It rubbed into me so bad. So I <laughs> I love to fly, as you know, and as many other people know, I am an avid traveler. I just absolutely love to fly. But that was easily the worst flight I had ever been on. But <laughs> it was nice because that it was a weirdly weird way to start off my own civic tech journey. Yeah, you know, I a lot of experience I've had with Eagles fans. They can be a bit insufferable, but, you know, this is the same fan base <laughs> that has fans police horses so at the same time i kind of pity them yeah uh, <laughs> my my cousin um angus he is a philadelphia eagles fan so it was kind of just hectic going to visit him and you know <laughs> getting teased about cody parkey because he used to be a philadelphia eagles kicker and uh, it was just hectic <laughs> instead of following in our own team's failures and poking fun at fans of other teams you know we should probably talk about the positive things that happened in the last 10 days. One of those things was we we interviewed a new guest. Jay, can you tell me we interviewed last week? Yes, Evan. I am really excited to tell y'all who we interviewed and who will be coming onto the podcast today. Listeners will hear our discussion with Jesse Singh, who was a Civic Digital Fellow in our summer 2020 cohort, and he worked with the National Institutes of Health. We are discussing his product management experiences at the National Institutes of Health, his current product management work in developing a COVID-19 symptom tracker for the state of Michigan, and how he helped build a civic tech community of his own. Well, that is fantastic. With that, I think we'll leave you in the hands of ourselves and Jesse Singh. Welcome to the podcast, Jesse. Hey, great to be here. Awesome. So I want to dive straight into working on your COVID-19 applications. How has it been working on a product of this magnitude and importance during the pandemic? So basically what we're doing here is I've been working on a COVID symptom self-reporting tool 
with the University of Michigan. And this tool basically is something that employers can use to survey their employees for COVID symptoms. It's also a requirement for the state of Michigan for employers to be screening their employees for COVID symptoms. But the challenge is that, you know, all these employers have had to switch to doing this, like surveying every day for in-person employees pretty suddenly. And most of them are doing it on paper forms. And that makes it a lot harder for someone's a business owner, multiple facilities to manage and see for all their facilities, like how many people are actually like having COVID, like how many people are we sending home and understand all of that. So our tool makes it all virtual. Employees can on their phones go and take the symptom survey and employers can on their devices check immediately like which of my employees at which workplaces are having symptoms. But it's also like backed by particular symptoms that the state of Michigan and epidemiologists are advocating for. You know, like that symptom definition has been changing with new information from the CDC. So we're able to keep everyone on the same standard the same public health verified standard while providing just like a better tool for people to manage their workplaces. This information can be used by public health epidemiologists to understand where outbreaks are happening. What we give them is we give like an at-risk status, you know, so it doesn't disclose the specific symptoms someone is having. So if tons of people are like popping up in Ann Arbor, Michigan with symptoms, then public health epidemiologists can decide like we need to look at like some sorts of government intervention to make sure this doesn't spiral out of control. Jesse, you were also a Coding at Ford alumni with me and Ajay during the summer of 2020, which is where we had the pleasure of getting to meet everyone virtually, including yourself. So we just had a few questions for you here. Why did you apply to Coding at Ford first off? But also, what did you do when you worked with the National Institutes of Health? I applied to Coding at Ford. It was in my last internship summer. So like last summer for my senior year, and it was kind of a result of just the past few years I'd been trying software engineering internship and I tried a variety of classes in business and computer science. And I just really felt like there was like a gap, like there was something I wanted to do with all the stuff I was learning. But the only way I tried using it was like, let me improve a business's profits or like, let me make this new tool for this technology use case. So I didn't really see it like connecting with people. And I wanted to like make those skills used for like all these problems I was hearing about in the news and across the world. So that was really what got me attracted to coding it forward. You know, it was like, come and use your skills for federal government institutions. These institutions, like they are working on the problems that are happening right now. You know, people don't have good access to COVID information, for example, or people don't have good access to information about their healthcare or their you know immigration process so this was the kind of stuff i felt like i could actually use my skills for and immediately help people with the problem i was hearing about both of you and everyone else i met in the program is definitely like people i found like excellent or like qualified to like be in this type of thing like it was really cool to see so many people who are like knew so much more than me about policy tech overlap like so many people were in like uh, design for america like that was like, yeah i think honestly the one really cool thing about the coding it forward cohort was that everyone was so so qualified to be there and there are people who are just finished their freshman year of yeah. college all the way to like someone who had ran for indiana state house i believe and it was a wide variety of backgrounds <laughs> but the common denominator yep, was uh, that <laughs> yes we weren't using coding it forward as a checkbox for our resume we were using it because 
we wanted to potentially get into government, but we for sure wanted to utilize computer science or our technical skill sets to promote social good. Yeah, you asked like, what, what did I work on at the National Institute of Health? So I essentially worked on, um, there's a platform that helps researchers at different universities across the US and worldwide get access to research data that the NIH makes available. So essentially, you know, the NIH sponsors tons of ac academic research across the country. And what it does is kind of like a sort of public service is that it takes that data from those studies that can be anonymized, anonymizes it, and then makes it available for research institutions across the U.S. So if you think about this from the perspective of like a researcher, right, you know, you normally doing your study takes like tons of approvals and like millions of dollars. But in this case, you can borrow the data that someone else has gathered and spent all this money on, and you can run your own experiments on, you know, maybe you have data about like people who have bad pregnancy outcomes and you can kind of find, you know, maybe there's some other underlying thing that was leading to these situations and you can do your own research. You know, imagine if you're at like a public university that has a really hard time getting their researchers funding for their research projects. You can actually get access to this data without having to wait years to get accredited as a professor or switch university. So kind of like a public good for like university researchers and researchers across the country. So essentially I was working on making this platform more usable and understanding what are some next technology steps that the platform can take and the team can take. So my main work ended up being on usability because when I was doing user research and talking to the users of the platform, I started noticing some of the challenges that were really interfering with the user's ability to use parts of the product. And I ended up, you know, going deeper into this user research rabbit hole and finding out like the specific ways we can repair some of these issues and make the experience a lot better. I do want to go back to this point, the first point you made about working and applying for um, the Civic Digital mm -hmm. Fellowship, where, you know, it's easy to see ourselves as hired guns. Like you can do things X, Y, and Z for like 10 weeks, but you don't feel like your work's impacting people. Yeah, fair. And that's something I felt a lot yeah. in the past few years. And working to serve the public good is something that I wanted to do, but never really... Uh, I mean, it's hard, right? Like when you're in college, you're like, how yeah, do I, never how really do I serve the that... people when I'm still like learning how to design like algorithms or write C++? Yeah, it's never really something that you get an opportunity to do in yeah. college or frankly, most experience yeah. as an intern, you, you just don't have those opportunities. So being able to apply to an organization or a program like putting it forward was really nice. I wanted to add something on to what you just said, Evan, which is that, yeah, when I was a coding it forward fellow and working at the department of health and human services for, you know, the 10 weeks that we had over the summer, I really could measure the impact that my project had on my team and just in terms of the government yeah. itself. And even it was the same thing at my next job at the Texas Democratic Party, but I definitely didn't feel it at Facebook. It's such a big company where I kind of was just sitting in my chair being like, you know what, if they just replaced me with another intern, then no one would notice. Or if I just left the company, no one would notice. Mm -hmm. And we were just working on this like extremely unimportant tool where I just felt like even my boss wouldn't even touch that code stack. And it was just kind of a stupid intern project <laughs> that was just shoved onto me. And I felt like, you know, I wasn't valued at all during my time at Facebook, but working in SevTech was where mm -hmm. I felt extremely valued. Yeah. And something interesting about that is like, 
I noticed on these like civic tech teams, you know, this is a team for like a software application, but both my managers who are like the main stakeholders are PhD experts in microbiology. And then you have people from, you know, the higher part of the institute I was in who are also like invested in the decisions and they're like, you know, their expertise is in like public health or their expertise is in some other like sociology or something. And you have like this like amalgamation of people where it's funny because you wouldn't really know ahead of time, like what random skills they're going to bring in that are going to be helpful. But those random skills, like your experience in stats or political science are what really like make the solution so much better. Like I had a bunch of interest in public health coming in. So when I talked to some of the people, the researchers, the users I was talking to in maternal health, I was like so curious about what kind of research they were doing and like how this tool was like serving them to do that. And that just kind of made some of the conversations so much more interesting. It made me like dig deeper into why they struggled to use the tool and how they could use it better. It's like these unexpected interests and skills that in government kind of like make the solution so much better than if you're just becoming like a, someone who comes in and just does code and then just leaves. Yeah, I kind of want to dig in a little more into what you kind of said about digging deeper. And one of the things that you're really renowned for in the Coding It Forward community is building connections <laughs> and not just building connections between you and like, let's say between you and Evan or between you and me, but between other fellows as well. And mm -hmm. honestly, like having you around in the Coding It Forward community during the summer honestly helped me expand connections to a wide variety of fellows who honestly, I probably wouldn't have talked to after the summer had ended. And as a result, even though yeah. the fellowship was several months ago and we have never officially met in person, we still have strong connections to this day and we still continue on yeah. having a wide variety of events where fellows can come in and hang out with each other and kind of continue to build this like civic tech family that we have. Events like, you know, varying from weekly mm -hmm. game nights to secret Santas. And I honestly think that's just really cool because even in some of my in-person internships, like I had those communities during the summer, but afterwards those communities kind of just mm -hmm. like lessened in importance. Whereas with like CDF, it's kind of yeah. just stayed the same. And I know a lot of people can honestly say that too. Mm -hmm. So I was really curious, do you have any advice for those who are seeking to build work communities and civic tech communities of their own during the pandemic? Yeah, if I were to give some advice, I guess I'd say make it easy for people. You know, like one of the biggest things I realized when I tried making a few like events for people to come through, I think one of them was like a, it was a virtual lunch. I would say we had like, I think Evan and I organized this. We had some success with it, but the challenge was we didn't make it really consistent, like when people were going to come and we didn't make it like spaced out enough that it would be like a new thing to do. So for example, we tried to make it like on random days throughout the week, but it was hard for people to predict and people didn't really want to come like to chat, like every lunch, like some, pe some days people just wanted to like sit alone and eat their lunch, which is totally fair. So like making it kind of like a once a week thing, make it something people can plan on ahead of time. Those simple, small things made it like way more effective. We had like, you know, the same people showing up. We had, you know, people who were looking forward to coming every week. I wanted to make something where I get to meet people similar to how I got to hang out with my friends before the pandemic or like in high school, I got to see my friends every lunch, just kind of like going out and doing something because right now without people in person, like people often are just like tired or they're not really like making the effort to like build those communities on their own. All it takes is us like one person to go and just try like working on it. So I remember all I did is I 
I brought it up at some event with Evan and then Evan was like, Hey, like, why didn't we like an actual event for like having lunch with people? And then we went and started having like this virtual lunch occasionally during the week that was inspired by, you know, when you're in person at an internship, you're in like a random city and you're trying to meet people. So you just go and eat lunch with all the other people who are kind of in this like weird position with you. And then, you know, we ran into some issues. So then we were like, okay, you know, how can we improve this? So we tried to make it like, you know, more routine, like once a week and stuff. And then, you know, it was funny because like right when the fellowship ended is when they decided to do like this game night. And the other advice I would give is that like everyone loves games. During this like crazy online time, people have gotten even more into turning these games into like virtual playable things that are completely free. So basically what you have is you have people who love playing games and you have all these virtual games online for free. So it's like a really good time to just arrange some small like event to just play some games with people. Like people really just want to find ways to have fun during the pandemic. And I just realized that one of the best ways to build community is just to help people enjoy and relax during, during the crazy time. Jesse, do you have any advice for younger people trying to find their career path and trying to find internships? On one hand, it's definitely helpful to like try a variety of options. So kind of like making a list of like options you might be interested in and then finding ways to take a look at how that is or talk to someone who does that. So for example, I talked to people who like did yeah software engineering before I went into this software internship. I talked to people who had done product management, people who had done even like medicine when I was thinking about doing that. And those kinds of things were really just what told me more about the field other than like, instead of just like going to a class about biology and trying to figure out from there. Another option is just to go and do the coolest work you think you could be doing later in your job. Like go and find where that's happening. Is it like a small nonprofit? Is it like a large company, maybe like a design firm or something like that? Like, is anyone working on the coolest work you think you could be doing like later in your job? And are there ways that you can go and try that stuff? So maybe they have like intern roles and data and like data analysis. Like I remember I saw something for like the New York Times in data analytics. So I was like, maybe someone who's looking to be a journalist might be interested in like finding ways to combine their experience and stats and try out work at the New York Times. Because like whenever you're going for a further job in this kind of area, they're going to ask you like, oh, have you done any work in this area yet? And if you've already gone out and tried it yourself, you can kind of like mold your, how you're responding to these questions. Like, you know, I actually do have experience or like, you know, I am qualified because that's what organizations are looking for at the professional level. They're like, you know, is this person actually able to do this? Can we trust them to do it well? Then we'll hire them and give them like all the responsibility of owning like this sort of project. Jesse, I wanted to bring up a few points as to what you just said. The first thing is that when you had mentioned you had talked to a lot of people who had gone down the path that you had gone down before going down that path yourself, I think is actually a really, really excellent point. When I first got into civic tech, I actually didn't really have that. And as a result, at times I kind of felt alone when, you know, I was doing this double major in political science and everyone around me was living and breathing, working at Amazon or working at another fan company. And as a result, yeah. I mean, people yeah. didn't understand what I was doing. People were just like, oh, like Jay's just doing this because, you know, he's dumb. 
or a Jay's just doing this because he <laughs> is selling himself short. And for me, it was like, it was never that. It was that I have this mm -hmm. skill set and I want to utilize it yeah. towards social good. I don't want to work at Amazon. I don't want to work at Facebook long term. And I never truly mm -hmm. felt like there were people who wanted to walk the same path that I did and were willing to help me until I found Coding It Forward. And when I was able to find that civic tech community and mm -hmm. honestly got to talk to a bunch of alumni and a bunch of mentors and a bunch of other people, I mean, ranging from people who worked in the Obama administration to, you know, people who were in the exact same program that I was in a year prior at, you know, Department of Health and Human Services. At that point, I truly felt like, you know what, I can work in civic technology. I can utilize the skill sets that I have and go work in political tech. That was extremely, extremely valuable. Yeah, that's a great point. I think now that I think about it a couple of years back, like I was really influenced by the community of people I was around and kind of like the common things I heard, which, you know, when you're in like tech, it's these big tech companies. When you're in business, it's like finance and consulting. So it's hard to kind of get away from that and try doing your own thing because you're worried you're missing out on all these other opportunities. So I think that if you are able to find people like either in your alumni network, in your local community, or I mean, heck, even reach out on the podcast. If you're able to find people who are in these areas and just talk to them, at like half an hour of their time that that can be hugely helpful i think it's important to like consider that you know on the topic of like network all three of us are in like pretty like privileged positions being part of a big university and you know university has an alumni network and this like coding a forward program so not everyone has access to these same resources but if there's ways you can find to try out some of these industries that you're interested in, I still think you can get like really great insights and experiences from going out and sampling on your own. Well, we were just talking about like just now, okay. I think is, you know, something that's very important. And honestly, yeah. it's something that I've been thinking about yeah. a lot. I recently, at the last minute, decided to apply to U Chicago for grad school for computational analysis and public policy. And one of the questions that came up was, what was the biggest challenge you faced and how did you solve it? And I immediately thought back to at the end of the summer of 2019, when I didn't get my offer from Facebook. And in a lot of ways, I felt cheated. As you all know, I did not have a good internship experience at Facebook. My manager was very bad. There were a lot of team members who, you know, weren't really willing to support me. I remember one of my team members got upset at me when I was trying to take notes on a concept so I could understand what he was telling me. And he like, got pissed at me and told me to put my notebook away. And it was experiences like that, where I just didn't feel welcome. The aftermath, when I came back to the University of Illinois after being away for nine months, I was in D.C. for three months. And then I was in California for three months. And, you know, between the breaks that were included in that as well, I just kind of felt alone. And it was because I found that community at, you know, the Civic Digital Fellowship at Coding It Forward. And then from there, continuing to build communities like at the Texas Democratic Party was how I ended up finding my path. Yeah, it did make a big, huge difference if you're like, a lot of times in the comp sci community and universities, you're you're like in the in-group if you like get a particular thing, right? Like an internship or like a, a name on your resume, which is kind of an absurd thing to qualify you to hang out with people or to, to talk to people. So if you can find communities that don't really care like, like what you do, then you can just focus on doing things you, you actually would like see yourself doing in the future. What's nice about some of the civic tech stuff is that for one, there's already like, there's a wide variety of people involved, right? Like even during my summer internship, I barely talked to design people. That was like a very surprising thing about this summer, like how 
important. Like design ended up being like a good mm -hmm. chunk of my internship even. But also that like these little communities for civic tech are like popping up in different places. And I think they're really helping people find their way, you know, without having to go and root out like the civic digital fellowship and apply to it. Now, like people are making small communities at universities or like Design for America is getting a little bit larger. So people have yeah. awareness. Okay, Jesse, I want to take things home here and ask you, why should people consider working in civic tech? I think maybe a more specific question could be like, do you want to work on technology that helps people more effectively apply for their discrimination claims? That was like a real project that we learned about someone in the justice department working civic tech worked on do you want to improve the ability of nih researchers to actually like get their like be able to accomplish like their life-saving research do you want to be able to contribute to uh, public health epidemiologists understanding the situation with covid that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise it's like are, are, do you want to do some of these specific things and that'll even help you find where in civic tech you want to be civic tech needs people to make the government work better and more effectively and all these skills are really going to be what what makes or breaks the government in the future dude that was a really good answer and thank you so much for coming onto our podcast today Thank you all for listening to our second episode of Civ Tech Talks. Special thanks to our guest, Jesse, for being on the podcast this week. We plan on releasing more episodes in the coming weeks, so please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Please give us a follow on Twitter or Instagram at Civ Tech Talks. Thanks, y'all. Thank you.